0: to episode 92 of real life ghost stories oh you do to kick things off this week we need to say thank you to our newest patreon subscribers we would like to thank christina sims
1: carly swalwell
0: danette cook arlo muja Jacquat. Catherine avery lupita razzo tony boland bonnie callaher nikki crow alexis schrantz beckwolf betsy rose
1: katherine Furman,
0: bridget m
1: Brian and Keith.
0: Rachel Prisgoda.
1: Jeanette Burson.
0: Jill Wilson. Jory. Savannah.
1: Nat Briscoe.
0: And Gabrielle Mortarallo. Damn it! Mortel Arrow. Is that did I get it right?
1: No, you got it wrong.
0: You oh, it and off. we did so well. We did really well. So that was Gabrielle Mortel Arrow. I'm sorry.
1: We were doing it. We were smashing that, it, and
0: I was doing, and I was getting that adrenaline of yeah. like, oh, we're near the finish yeah. line, and then I ruined it.
1: But thank you guys so much for subscribing as a Patreon. We really appreciate you all.
0: We also would like to say another thank you today to Theresa and Ellen, who sent us an outrageous parcel from America. Outrageous. We have no
1: in a positive way
0: yeah it was it was amazing you know it it, it just it was just full of American snacks and we're so excited and I know I know I absolutely know that you didn't send it to us for this reason so that we could you know thank you on the show but we wanted to say thank you because honestly it made our year it's incredible and thank you so much I've got a promo for you this week
1: ooh a promo
0: our what was
1: that that's my little promo voice oh that was interesting. Promo.
0: Our promo this week is for the Ghost Trail series, which is a YouTube channel. Ooh. I don't think we've done a YouTube channel promo before.
1: No, I'm not sure we have.
0: So the Ghost Trail series is a spooky series exploring haunted sites, strange phenomena and people's weird experiences around the UK. It is hosted by Joe and Faye and I would absolutely recommend that you go and have a watch of this YouTube channel especially if you're like me and you're a bit of a a YouTube file like I love having YouTube on in the background and I watch a bazillion one different YouTube channels and this is really well produced really engaging content so I would highly recommend that you go and watch this and I'm going to play their promo for you now.
1: Hi I'm Jo and I'm Faye and we've got a question
0: for you. What has two actors, ghost stories, plenty of spooky goings-on, special guests, and scary site visits? And a super cheesy promo. The answer is The Ghost Trail. So make a cup of tea and come and join us on YouTube under The Ghost Trail Series. Subscribe, sit back, and enjoy our creepy adventures. The Ghost Trail is presented by Joe Hart and Faye Sewell with original music by Peter Godfrey. So that was the Ghost Trail series YouTube channel. Go and check them out. So our film review this week. Our film review is The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man was released in 2020. It has 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Yeah, go for it. After staging his own suicide, a crazed scientist uses his power to become invisible to stalk and terrorize his ex-girlfriend. When the police refuse to believe her story, she decides to take matters into her own hands and fight back. What were your thoughts on this film?
1: My problem is with this is personal, and there's actually nothing wrong with this film. It's a really good thriller. I think it does the the suspense really well, and it's got, you know, it plays on real life issues well. To give that sort of terror and suspense on that. My problem with with this is really stupid, but it's it's classified as like a paranormal. Well, it's not classified, but it's kind of sold as a paranormal slash monster movie, and it's neither. It's a man in a suit.
0: Yeah, it's a It's and not you know a horror that. That's not like
1: it's not a twist. No, like they could have built it into being like, oh, is this a ghost? Is it the ghost of a... No, from the start, you know that he's a tech god because actually the opening scene, you were like, is that Tony Stark?
0: Yeah, even I said that and I, I have no idea about, you know, Marvel or I don't know if Tony Stark is in that universe, but I know he's a wealthy scientist. So, you know, that I made that link. I, I'm going to be really frank about this and I would not suggest that you watch this film if you have been in an abusive relationship or you're a domestic abuse survivor. I just wouldn't recommend it. I, I think that it has... It it could be really cathartic for some people, like lots of things are, but it also could be really triggering. So I would exercise great caution watching this film if you are a domestic abuse survivor. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I think it was, I mean, it was fine. It was engaging. The beginning really freaked me out because I thought that it demonstrated actually the reality of domestic mm. abuse really well yep. in that it's often really insidious and secretive and people aren't aware of it until there's some sort of explosion and suddenly people are aware and also other people not believing or understanding a victim and understanding what they've gone through I thought that was explored really well and I thought in the beginning when he first starts uh terrorizing her I guess that was that genuinely frightened me like yeah. it was, re- it was really scary and yeah. I, I found it very uncomfortable, but I kind of thought towards the end, it lost the run of itself a bit, which is often the way, right? With yeah. these kind of films.
1: I will hands up say that I ruined this film for myself. So just cause I don't like it, doesn't mean that you guys should take that as actual, I mean, not that you take my film reviews for gospel anyway, but you shouldn't take that as a reason not to watch it. I ruined this because I, I hate things where I know exactly what's going on. Instantly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you do. There is no, there is no mystery.
1: No. And I know, I know it's obviously it's based on a rehash of the invisible man where he was like, had powers and stuff like that. But it was just, it just like, I literally disengaged with it the instant, the instant that they made it very clear that it was someone in a suit. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, well, I know what's happening now. So there's no terror to it. We know that she's actually being stalked by her husband.
0: That is what's happening. I don't, I just, I just... Don't really know how I feel about it. It's definitely not a horror film. So, if you're looking for a horror film, this isn't it. It's a thriller. It is a thriller. It is a thriller movie. It's
1: not a monster movie either because it's a guy in a suit. That's not a monster. I mean, it's... Even though it's technically part of the dark universe, which baffles me. But there you go.
0: I also found the opening scene really heartbreaking when she's trying Mm. to get out of the house. So, the bits that I felt really uncomfortable with and the bits that I found most intense were actually around her relationship with him and not about the fact that he was an invisible man. So it's I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it.
1: it. I think it did a good job in creating that terror and tension from him being a evil man.
0: An abusive bastard, yeah. yeah.
1: And that's that's it that's why it did it went in like that, and I get it, and it makes sense, and I think they did it well.
0: I'll tell you one thing though, Elizabeth Moss is incredible in it. Very good. She's really, really good in it. She is just I mean the trauma, the trauma is written all over her face. And then when she goes and when she does like she escapes in the first you know 5 minutes so that's not yeah it's not that's not a spoiler and when she goes and lives in her friend's house and his frustration at her inability to leave the house cuz she's so frightened all of the time like i thought she was amazing
1: you could tell this story with seven well chosen shots of elizabeth moss's face yeah she the trans watch the watch the transition of her face from the start to the end and the different, various different stages it go through. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, she is incredible in it. So I don't know. I mean, it's not a horror film. That's kind of my takeaway from it. It's not a horror film. Proceed with caution if you're a domestic abuse survivor, or even, you know, as some people might be listening to this, are currently in an abusive relationship. Genuinely, I would imagine it's very triggering for some people. So what would you give this film out of I'm five? I'm not going to
1: score this one because I don't think it's fair, because I just, I've ruined it for myself. So I'm just not going to give it a rating. I think if you want to see it, watch it. I don't really know what to score it. I think if I, if I scored it, it would be entirely a personal opinion and I just didn't enjoy it because I disengaged from the start, but it is a good film I, and it's my own fault, so I'm not going to score
0: it. <laughs> I think if you, li- if you like a good thriller yeah. and you are feeling kind of um, secure enough to be able to watch a film that deals with themes like this, I'd give it around a three. I thought it was, you know, Elizabeth Moss for me gets a five. She was absolutely fantastic in it, but the film itself i i agree i think the the beginning is terrifying and it really is heart in your mouth kind of territory but then it loses the run of itself a little bit yep which brings us to our story this week we're moving from one invisible man to another right and we've got a very interesting topic
1: is this interesting in air quotes No, this is genuinely interesting. Okay. It's something
0: that you, I know, are interested in. I've always
1: like interesting. But it took me
0: down a really weird path when I was researching. Like, oh, okay. really weird. If anybody saw my tweet during the week, you'll understand what I mean. I mean, I was I spent a quite an amount of time reading articles about bronies. Oh, wow. Like, that's how weird. The, <laughs> that is I, this is not where I expected to end up for this episode, but I'll explain why after okay. we do the stories. So today, we are going to be talking about the tulpa phenomenon. Ooh. So what do you know about tulpas?
1: I think that's what we do every episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> Talking something into existence. That's how I understand it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's in very simple terms, that's what it is. I really struggled with this research, actually, because a lot of what I read, I, I actually just couldn't fathom or understand. And then a lot of the modern interpretation or the Western interpretation of what a tulpa is maybe isn't actually based in in tibetan mysticism so it's kind of it's kind of a bit tricky territory so if i say something and you listen and you are an expert on this particular topic or you know more about it than i do you know i did my best <laughs> but sometimes i don't understand these if things you can
1: let us know in a gracious way without yeah i'd love down, that then that'd be good this we always we're open to learning
0: so i'm going to start with some history about yes, the history. tulpa a little bit of understanding of what it is and how we came to know about it and this came from anomalyinfo.com Are you ready? Never ready. In 1929, a European woman who had travelled extensively in Tibet inadvertently added a new word to the lexicon of the paranormal. Tulpa. That woman was Alexandra David Neal. She had spent years studying Tibetan religion and mysticism, and had begun to write books to both explain the ideas behind these systems, as well as to share her own personal adventures of travelling in a distant land. In 1929, she published Magic and Mysticism in Tibet. Among other things, this book told of David Neal's own encounters with a Tibetan spiritual phenomena named Sprulpa, which she chose to write as Tulpa perhaps to render the word more phonetically correct to what it would sound like in Tibetan rather than how it would be read in English. A tulpa, as David Neal explained it, is a sort of illusion created by spiritual energy. It can look like anything and can also be mistaken for a real living entity. In extreme cases, these illusions can be solid, and, if of a living being, can take on a life of their own and possibly outlive their creator. Tulpas are created either by a spiritual entity or by a human who can properly envision the object they wish to represent as if it was real to begin with. In Tibet, it was believed that various spirits and deities used tulpas to create manifestations of themselves for people to interact with. It was also believed that some very well-trained lamas that's holy people, not the animals, could also create these illusions with varying degrees of skill. Past that, even common people could occasionally create a tulpa inadvertently when they focused on a thought too much. The idea that human thought might be able to create visible and or tangible forms had been theorised previous to David Neal's 1929 mention of the tulpas of Tibet. In Europe and the United States in the late 1800s, it had been suggested by several people that such an effect, referred to as a thought form, might be an explanation of how ghosts manifested themselves and how people could be seen in two places at once. Most of this theorising took place in either writings associated with the Societies for Psychical Research, in Britain and in the United States, or in various theosophical literatures and, in both cases, they didn't really grab the imagination of the general public. David Neal's account of the phenomenon most certainly did grab public attention, though, partially because stories of mystical Tibet were generally popular at the time she published her book, and partially because of the rising interest in various magazines devoted to weird, mystical and paranormal true stories. So David Neal's tulpas and especially the account of the tulpa she claimed to have created herself, became the primary example of what a thought form was from then on. But the trade-off was that the phenomena itself was now largely presented only in context of the creation of a tangible living being from thought, with all other possible connected phenomena generally ignored. A number of people have since put forward the belief that if a single person can create a tulpa, then a collective belief in a being shared by a large group of people could create a sort of collective tulpa. This collective tulpa idea has been proposed as the base phenomena behind a wide variety of strange occurrences. From visions of holy figures to uncatchable monsters like Bigfoot or Nessie. Unfortunately, given the rigorous nature of the creation of an individual's tulpa as described by David Neal. It seems unlikely that a collective set of beliefs could be precise enough for a long enough period of time to create a functional critter. So as a theory, it's a huge stretch. Especially since no one is able to prove that tulpas exist. Still, if tulpas do exist, they have the potential for pointing to a mechanism which could allow spirits to manifest. And for living beings to create a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. It's important to note before we go any further that there is still a large amount of debate about whether the tulpa that we now understand is actually representative of the true tulpa of Tibetan mysticism.
1: I like that idea that if one can generate the thought, then the collective thought can generate something even more stronger, and maybe that's where Bigfoot comes from. I mean, that didn't make sense what I said, but you know, everybody no, knows. everybody knows. You understand what you everybody mean. Everybody knows the point that I'm talking about. That's an interesting idea, isn't it?
0: It is interesting, but it's also really important that it seems as though, from what I've read, that, you know, Western idea has just plucked one idea of what a tulpa is and ran with that and chosen to ignore the wider implications of what the mysticism surrounding tulpas actually is, which is really, I mean, it's, it's complex and, and, and
1: I struggled. A common, a common theme with Western culture adopting Eastern theologies.
0: Yeah. So we, we Hand-picking,
1: take, like the whole 60, I'm, I'm thinking of a specific movement. So the whole 60s thing that the Beatles got heavily into was, uh, was, was focused very much on transcendental meditation and not all the other stuff that goes with it. Like <laughs> transcendental meditation is part of a bigger thing.
0: So I think that, tibetan um tulpas are a part of transcendental um meditation and also a part of tantric yoga and there's lots of different it's not just Mm. oh if you think hard enough you can create something it's it's about reaching a particular meditative state and it's not uh, maybe as simplified as what we understand it as now
1: absolutely because if it was that simple imagine like you know how you know how obsessive i get over things imagine the weird crap that i would do (laughs)
0: Our house would be full of just wandering random (laughs) beings. And I'd be like, Dan, is that another tulpa? For fuck's sake, stop obsessing over things. In my research, I was trying to find like true tulpa stories. And a lot of what I found was like creepypasta.
1: So you're looking for real life tulpa tulpa stories then, yeah?
0: Yeah, that's where we're at. (laughs) And I found a story that is called The Philip Experiment. Have you ever heard of this? Never heard of it. Now I'd heard of it briefly on We Need to Talk About Ghosts on their Patreon feed. And I had forgotten about it. And then I was thinking about this Tulpa episode. And I was like, oh, there's something, there's a story about Tulpa somewhere. But this is it. Now buckle up because this is a wild ride. In the early 1970s. The Toronto Society for Psychical Research created a ghost. They quite literally thought a ghost into being. That probably sounds absurd, and maybe it is absurd, but it is a well-documented experiment that inspired many other experiments like it. The theory has long been proffered that the human mind is capable of many great things that we are not even aware of yet. There have been many cases of people receiving head injuries and apparently gaining superpowers as the pathways of their brains open up to allow synapses to spark and connect in a way that wasn't previously possible. Derek Amato hit his head in a diving accident and became a master pianist. Orlando Cerril was hit with a baseball and now has the ability to remember the day of the week for any date since August 17th, 1979. The list is actually endless and demonstrates the unique capability of the human brain to do amazing things. It is natural, therefore, that people would question whether some paranormal experiences can be linked to the immense untapped power of our own psyche paranormal researchers have long theorised that poltergeist activity, for example, is linked to the psychological impact puberty has on teenage girls. So is it possible that door-slamming footsteps and flying objects could actually be caused by manifestations of our own imaginations? This is exactly what the Toronto Society for Psychical Research wanted to find out. And so, they set about creating a ghost. Dr. A.R.G. Owen assembled a team of eight people, specifically chosen to be representative of the variety of human experience. There was Owen's wife. There was the former chairperson of Mensa, an industrial designer, an accountant, a housewife, a bookkeeper and a sociology student. The research was also overseen by psychologist Dr. Joel Whitten, The group decided that if they wanted to create a ghost, they at least needed to give him a convincing backstory. So they set about creating a fictional biography for a fictional man named Philip Aylesford. Philip was the quintessential aristocratic Englishman living in the middle 1600s at the time of Oliver Cromwell. He had been a supporter of the King and was a Catholic. He was married to a beautiful but cold and frigid wife, Dorothea, the daughter of a neighbouring nobleman. One day, when out riding on the boundaries of his estates, Philip came across a gypsy encampment and saw there a beautiful, dark-eyed, raven-haired girl called Margot and fell instantly in love with her. He brought her back secretly to live in the gatehouse near the stables of Diddington Manor, his family home. For some time he kept his love nest a secret, but eventually Dorothea, realising he was keeping someone else there, found Margot and accused her of witchcraft and stealing her husband. Philip was too scared of losing his reputation and his possessions to protest at the trial of Margot and she was convicted of witchcraft and burned at the stake. Philip was subsequently stricken with remorse that he had not tried to defend Margot and used to pace the battlements of Diddington in despair. Finally, one morning, his body was found at the bottom of the battlements, where he had cast himself off in a fit of agony and remorse. None of this was true, of course. It was a completely fictionalised narrative, dreamed up by the team of eight, as they filled in the details about Philip's tragic life. Not only did they create his life, ...but they used the artistic talents of one of the members of the group to draw Philip... ...giving the group a shared visual of the man they had invented. In September 1972, the team began Phase 2 of their ghost creation experiment. This phase was the real long haul... ...and definitely tested the commitment of the team. For an entire year, they met regularly and sat and discussed Philip and his life in detail. They shared stories about what he had done, dreamed and felt. They collectively meditated about him and tried to learn to visualise their collective hallucination in more detail. The year dragged on, with no results. They meditated and talked, but Philip never appeared, except that itchy, tingling sensation began to trouble some of the team. They began to feel the unmistakable feeling that someone just out of sight was watching them. They would glance at the corners of the room, thinking that perhaps this was it, that Philip would appear. But nothing happened. This was not felt by all the team so it could not be recorded as any sort of significant evidence. And after a year of nothing, the eight soldiered on, but decided that they needed to take a somewhat different approach. For the past year, they had ensured that they conducted their experiments in the daytime, and in a brightly lit room, so as not to allow for any tricks of the mind to produce shadows where there were none. This wasn't working though, and a year is a long time to waste trying to prove that something is possible. They decided that it was time to replicate the traditional atmosphere of a classic spiritualist seance from the turn of the century. The sessions switched to the evenings, at the perfect time of dusk where the veil to the other world begins to lift. The curtains were drawn, and the candles were lit. The group sang soft folk songs and surrounded themselves with pictures of the castle that they imagined Philip to live in. They plunged their imaginations into his world. And it worked. Sooner than anyone had expected, Philip began to communicate with the group. They were sat around the table, emanating a traditional séance when suddenly, from the middle of the table, came a distinct, sharp, loud rap. They froze, not daring to believe that this could be happening. Their hands were all visible on the table, and no one could have reached the middle to make the sound, but there it was, loud and distinctive. It almost hung in the air, until someone plucked up the courage to ask Philip a question. One rap for yes and two for no. Are you the ghost of Philip? One rap echoed through the air. The group began to learn about Philip's life through this rapping mechanism. They would ask him questions, and he would rap once for yes, and twice for no. None of the participants could explain the phenomena they witnessed, and it quickly began to move away from just rapping sounds. The table they sat around would slide seamlessly across the floor, despite it being heavy and sitting upon a thick carpet. It would rise from the floor and dance on one leg. Philip seemed to even display a distinct personality, evidenced by the speed and veracity at which he would answer certain questions and the pauses he would take to answer others. That Philip was a creation of the group's collective imagination was evident in his limitations. Although he could accurately answer questions about events and people of his time period, it did not appear to be information that the group was unaware of. In other words, Philip's responses were actually coming from their subconscious, their own minds. Some members began to think that they heard whispers, ...in responses to the questions. But no voice was ever captured on tape. Philip's psychokinetic powers, however... ...were amazing... ...and completely unexplained. If the group asked Philip to dim the lights... ...they would dim instantly. When asked to restore the lights... ...he would oblige... The table around which the group sat was almost always the focal point of peculiar phenomena. After feeling a cool breeze blow across the table, they asked Philip if he could cause it to start and stop at will. He could, and he did. The group noticed that the table itself felt different to the touch whenever Philip was present, having a subtle electric or almost alive quality. On a few occasions, a fine mist formed over the centre of the table. Most astonishingly, the group reported that the table would sometimes be so animated that it would rush over to meet latecomers to the session or even trap members in the corner of the room. The climax of the experiment was a séance conducted before a live audience of 50 people. The session was also filmed as part of a television documentary. Fortunately, Philip was not stage shy and performed above expectations. Besides table wrappings, other noises around the room and making lights blink on and off, the group actually attained a full levitation of the table. It rose only half an inch above the floor but this incredible feat was witnessed by the group and the film crew. Unfortunately, the dim lighting prevented the levitation from being captured on film. Although the Philip experiment gave the Owen group far more than they ever imagined possible, it was never able to attain one of their original goals, to have the spirit of Philip actually materialise. The Philip experiment ...was so successful that the Toronto organisation decided to try it again... ...with a completely different group of people and a new fictional character. After just five weeks, the new group established contact with their new ghost, Lilith, a French-Canadian spy. Other similar experiments conjured up such entities such as Sebastian, a medieval alchemist... ...and even Axel, a man from the future. All of them were completely fictionalised, yet all produced unexplained communication through their unique raps. A Sydney, Australia group attempted a similar test with the Skippy experiment. The six participants created the story of Skippy Cartman, a 14 year old Australian girl. The group reports that Skippy communicated with them through raps and scratching sounds. But what are we to make of these incredible experiments? While some would conclude that they prove that ghosts don't exist, that such things are in our minds only, others say that our unconscious could be responsible for this kind of phenomena some of the time, but they don't actually prove that there are no ghosts. Another point of view is that even though Philip was completely fictional, the Owen group really did contact the spirit world. A playful, or maybe demonic, spirit took the opportunity of these seances to act as Philip and produce the extraordinary psychokinetic phenomena recorded. Or maybe a group of people who had worked for over a year just desperately wanted to prove themselves right.
1: That is fascinating. I like the idea that Skippy, the Australian character, communicated in raps and scratching. It's like she's a DJ.
0: I, the more I said raps during that, <laughs> I did not think this through when I was writing it. I was like not rapping as in the music, rapping as in the knocking. And now I can just hear Philip rapping constantly. And,
1: and everybody's listening to you going, wow, she's really understating the importance of this ghost that raps. Emma's just not stressing this point enough. That is incredible.
0: <laughs> I mean, he would definitely need some sort of rap name like Little Philip or yeah. something along those lines. Philip works a lot. Yeah. And all of this information came from a website called liveabout.com, but you can look up the documentary on YouTube. So go, honestly, go and look it up. It's a really, really fascinating story. And like I said, it prompted other people to do similar experiments. So what do you think? Do you think they really created Philip? Like what, what happened?
1: Well, firstly, I don't think this is a disapproval of the idea that ghosts exist. I think it's more of a human endeavor story, isn't it? What we can achieve... Through collective,
0: if we literally put our mind to it,
1: yeah, collective positivity and PMA, yeah, these people wanted this to create this thing into existence. They were listening for the right answers.
0: I think that's a really good point. They were listening for the right answers, and I think if you spend like a year of meeting up, talking about this imaginary man, like that, it's pretty mad. It's pretty mad. Surely you get to a point where maybe not fake it. I don't think fake it is the right thing to say. But like you said, they would be desperate for something to happen or desperate to attribute something to Philip. Just not to feel like you've wasted all that time.
1: I don't think it disproves anything. It just proves what you can do if you work together and keep a positive mindset, I think. Yeah. Um. I like, you know, the the crazy part of me likes the idea that it's a mischievous spirit. But going, right, Okay, these guys are attentive. Let me play along. I've been listening to it for a year. I know all the answers. Let's play along with this. But I think it's more of a sort of an indication as to what what humans can achieve from working together, which sounds very cheesable. But
0: when I am reading these stories to you, I I visualize it all in my head as I'm going and I see it all as it's happening. And one of the things that really made me want to stop and laugh was the table pinning people into the corner of the room (laughs) or running to greet like a dog. Yes, like like the little puppy. Um, footrest from beauty and the yeah, beast Yeah, that is what that's what, that I, that's what, I pictured. what was yeah, yeah, in
1: yeah, my so head i couldn't remember i didn't remember it as a footrest i thought it was like a coffee table but i, I had the same image of the thing in my uh, in my head so that's that's crazy but yeah i just I, I think it's a really cool i do think it's a really cool story and actually if that's your field if that's what your passion that's what you're interested in why not try to see if it works
0: yeah and i think that it, we have probably oversimplified it in our Western culture in terms of, well, if you think about something for long enough and in this certain way, it will manifest. Now, I could be totally getting that wrong. And I I do hold my hands up and say that I might just be interpreting things poorly. But like, I think about winning the lotto all the time. Like, I've picked out my house and everything. So why is that not happening? Well, Explain that to me.
1: There is that school of thought, though, isn't there? That actually that's a real thing. Like uh, Noel Edmonds, that's why he always got something written on his hand. But it, part of his thing is he, he always... I, you probably can't. I don't know if he's on TV anymore, but if you look at old episodes of nil, Deal or No Deal, he's always got a symbol written on his hand. Oh. what's to do with that.
0: So it's to do with manifesting your intentions. Yeah. I mean, when I had my psychic reading, so I had a psychic reading on Patreon and I recorded it and posted it on Patreon. She as did. Do. She did say, as you do, yeah. That's what we do in our spare time. She did say about the importance of manifestation and how you need to like manifest things to happen. But I don't really... She's not really bothered.
1: Yeah, but I think uh, it's how you read that though, isn't it? Because are we talking about manifestations or are we just c- talking about keeping a positive mindset over yeah. things? it depends. There's, there's definitely an ad- ad- advantageous point to stay in, trying to stay positive, particularly in a world that's very, very negative. I think it's, it's quite an important thing to, to sort of cling to the positives and look at the, the bright side of life, which sounds really superficial, but you know what I mean.
0: You know, I do know what you mean. I think it is important, but I do have a real-life tulpa story for you. Ooh. So in my travels, as I said, I searched a lot. You mean your travels with the, over the internet? Yeah, my travels <laughs> over the internet. I searched a lot. I ended up down a rabbit hole of brony culture, which, so there's a whole world of what they, they call themselves tulpamancers. Um, I'll put the link to articles about it in the description of this episode if you're interested and I was like oh tulpomancer, that sounds dark and cool there's definitely going to be some some good occult stories no no it's like bronies and people who like manga and anime who are using this corner of reddit to help each other to learn how to become Tulpamancers and turn the characters that they love into Tulpas that they can talk to Honestly, that's quite cute. Like, it's really whole. Like, it is really genuinely really wholesome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> because it's not like this is the corner where they all summon the, 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 dem- de- the demon no. ponies. No. No, it's really wholesome. Is there, is, is there enemies in My Little Pony? Just I've never like... seen it, so I don't mm-hmm. know. Let me know.
0: But I did find a story for you. Okay. So I'm just going to read it to you. It's not about bronies. Don't worry. Okay. But I do think if you're interested, that is an interesting facet of fandoms that I think. Uh, People might want to read about. I'm going to tell you about my experience creating a tulpa. Despite occurring a few years ago, I remember it as though it was last week. If any of you are tempted to try and create your own, I strongly recommend against it. For those of you who don't know, a tulpa is an entity created purely through imagination. If you concentrate hard and long enough, you can gradually bring one to life. A human, animal, or something much more creative, it is no urban legend. Tulpas are very real. It can take anything from 200 to 500 hours to complete one, depending on the creator. I was a good few hundred hours into mine before I stopped. I had chosen to work on a replica of myself purely because it's the easiest thing to do. When I began, I had no idea if it was going to work. I'm always exploring the supernatural and the paranormal. I've performed countless experiments, and the majority of them have left me disappointed. By the time I started on my tulpa, I was used to being let down. Imagine my surprise when I could feel it coming together, way before I could see anything. It's difficult to explain, but it was similar to the sensation I get when I'm being productive. Except all I was doing was sitting there, staring and concentrating. It began to take shape. At first I could see the outlines, kind of like light on someone's shoulders when the sun is behind them. This gradually bled over until I was looking at a vague figure. Next, I defined its general shape removing any irregularities and filling in the gaps. Eventually, the tulpa was fully formed and I was staring at a replica of myself. I watched it for a while, admiring my own work. I remember the way it just watched me back, like a customer getting a haircut. By this point, it was like an image from a projector. My fingers passed through it when I tried to touch it. During the next stage of its creation, I would give it the ability to interact with me and its environment. It wasn't long after this that I changed my mind about the whole thing. I remember at one point realising that its features were a little more elongated than mine. Slightly longer face, teeth, eyes, limbs, fingers. And there was something incredibly disturbing about the way it watched me. When I first started on it, my tulpa would stay put whenever I wasn't working on it. It always waited patiently in that room for me to return and continue. Then one day, I was washing my face. I looked up and it was behind me in the mirror, staring. I stood there, heart pounding for what felt like hours, before I remembered that it was still only an image I swam a hand through it just to make sure. It followed me everywhere around the house after that, but I would never see it walking. It would just suddenly be behind me, beside me, in the reflection of something. I began to get very frightened. It all became too much. One night I decided to stop working on it and just wait for it to disappear. It took a month and a half. A month and a half of watching and following, it was always there. Sometimes staring without expression, sometimes smiling with its long teeth. Some nights it would get braver. I would wake up and it would be standing over my bed, a warped version of myself just waiting for me to open my eyes. Sometimes it would be accompanied by a sour odour. What was even more terrifying was a month or so in, waking up and seeing its faded figure standing at the end of the room like a shadow, still watching. By this point I was rarely sleeping. Whenever I closed my eyelids, I could feel its eyes on me. On the nights I did sleep I would have the worst nightmares imaginable, and it only got worse from there picture waking up from a terrible dream only to realise the nightmare was completely real I hardly ate my weight plummeted at one point my boss asked me to do a drug test as time went on the shadow became less and less apparent the days became brighter again my nightmares more tolerable then one morning I couldn't see it anymore nor feel it And the following night I slept like a log and that's when I knew I was really free so please don't mess around with tulpas I know it's tempting to try it the concept intrigued me at first too but I learned my lesson and thankfully before it was too late I'm just grateful that I got out unharmed imagine if I'd given it the ability to interact and then try to get rid of it Its last days would have been much more terrifying. So consider this a warning. If you have a mind like mine, you'll make something dark and regret it. A tulpa's mental state relies on its creators. Remember that.
1: Ooh, that's serious, isn't it?
0: Yeah, isn't that a good one? It's like
1: one of those classic stories, though, isn't it, that actually... It's like your shadow actually wants to be you. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And actually at some point you make it strong enough it's actually gonna get rid of you and replace you. Like the changeling kind of idea.
0: Yeah, that kind of same cultural idea really, isn't it? That yeah. there there will be a version of you that is just a bit shitter.
1: It did make me think of Kenneth Anger. I don't know what that is. So he's a he was a I don't I don't know if he's still alive, but he was like a record producer movie guy who was very much into satanism and the occult wrote a film called lucifer rising he was trying to get mick jagger to play lucifer and mick jagger got freaked out by him and ended up not doing it but one of the thing one of the big stories about him is that there was this massive party held at i think it was brian jones's house he was in the rolling stones and they were there was loads of people there and loads of people corroborated seeing kenneth anger at this party when he was actually somewhere else with another group of no yeah so that's what, what? I think of. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, you've got to bear in mind, this is, we're talking the late 60s and it's a party, so. Everyone's drugged out their eyeballs, yeah, yeah. But it's quite, it's a really commonly told story about this guy that he was, that there's this one particular party. And I think, I think, I, I think Bowie and like Mick Jagger and one of the other stones all remember seeing him in the party at various different points, but not actually being able to get to him. So, but they remember seeing him and then actually it turned out he was like in another country with someone else <gasps> at the time so there's no way he could have been in that party why did this story
0: not come up when I was researching that is <laughs> incredible
1: but I don't know whether I don't, it's not normally linked to a tulpa because it's normally linked to his satanic powers yeah. rather than because there's so much other stuff that goes in with him and his satanism and the weirdness that he was involved in or is still involved in. I don't know if he's still alive actually.
0: I I love your knowledge of the music industry, by the way. That is it's
1: just impressive. I was thinking about it as as you were reading and I, I I definitely read about it in the two books that I used to research the Robert Johnson story. But I'm pretty sure Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts also talks about Kenneth Anger and that particular story in his episode that he did on the Jericho podcast about Alistair Crowley. Because obviously he's he has probably is the influence for yeah. Satanism goes on in the sixties and stuff like that. And there's links to the Beatles and, and things like that. So I'm pretty sure he mentions that story in that, in that podcast as well. So if any of you want to check that out, um I'd recommend it. But yeah, that's what it made me think of this idea that you, you know, you create a Tolfo of yourself so that you can be in one than one place at once. But then, oh,
0: how great would that be?
1: Well, I don't know I'd if never would have be. to go
0: anywhere. Never have to leave the house. I just, what if like, your to
1: does something?
0: Oh, I wouldn't even be bothered by it. I'd be arrested. like, Oh yeah, Sorry. <laughs> I did that. And then at least if I went to prison, I wouldn't, I could just three meals a day. Don't have to interact with people if I don't want to. Great.
1: Pretty sure that's not, I'm pretty sure yeah, I know, prison yeah. is not like. I'd be Christian. very flippant.
0: <laughs> that is not what prison is like. I'm very aware. <laughs> so that story came from whatpad.com and you know, it's very unlikely to be a real story, but I just enjoyed it. I have, there's loads of links in the description of this episode that I would highly recommend that you go and read some I, of the different you need
1: to put those brony stories up so that they can read them as well.
0: Yep, I will do. So that so that you can um have a little have a little look about the wonderful world of tulpomancy online because it is just wild. I, see,
1: I can see why you fell down that rabbit hole though, because yeah. it sounds so dark and then uh, you get there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like tulpomancy, that's like necromancy, yeah. like we oh I brilliant, I'm here for this occult stuff. No, bronies. <laughs> and it's really wholesome <laughs> So if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find me on real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. You can find Dan. What did you just say? What?
1: You said real life ghost Stories at gmail.com. Oh, I'm say? so
0: sorry. So basically, we've been recording loads of 30 days of terror, and I'm starting to struggle with the repetitive nature of the end of our episodes. Which I'm convinced nobody listens to anyway, but we're still gonna go there. So if you enjoyed this week's episode You can and- find
1: Emma on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories, you can find me on Instagram at fifty Movie club, you can find us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. If you've got your own scary story that you'd like to share with us, you can email us at Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories, and you can join our super secret super secret secret super group called RLGS Secret Secret for- No, it's called RLGS Supergroup and the password is Emma and Dan. If you want to sign up for Patreon, it's Patreon forward slash real life ghost stories. No, backslash Patreon.
0: Patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. Where? Is that not what I said? No. What did I say? You said Patreon forward slash real life ghost stories. <laughs>
1: Where for five dollars a month or two dollars a month you get loads of extra content and you can find all our links and all our biz on real life go stories.podcast.com. And on that note, I'm not doing to see you next week because that's not my bit.
0: And on that note, wow, you thank you. That was that was really impressive. Thanks. Well done. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Bye.